You're listening to a sermon podcast from Sovereign Grace Church in Bradford, Ontario. For more info, visit sovgracechurch.ca. So there's, there's many things I enjoy about teaching and practicing karate. Um, I enjoy honing the precision of the techniques. You know, I'm a recovering perfectionist. Um, there's, a, there's an element of mentorship as you train the younger students uh, to teach and then actually watch them get better than you. That's actually really rewarding. And, and, and I love the sense of camaraderie as you train with, with old friends. I've been training for about 10 years, so a bunch of us just grow up together and train together. It's a, it's a, it's a really great time. But there's one part that I cannot get behind and I never teach. And you'll see why in a bit. So one of the concepts that is taught, um, especially to the kids, is that karate is about body, mind, and spirit. So we train, ourself, we train our, ourselves to have strong bodies. Uh, we train our minds so that when our bodies get tired, our minds tell our body what to do. And when our minds are tired, that's when spirit kicks in. And spirit means that you never, ever, ever give up. Now, it sounds, in, it sounds empowering, you know, telling kids, you know, you have it in you. you. Just grit your teeth and persevere and you can do it. But the Christian life is not like this at all. You know, we are called to put in effort for godliness, yes. You know, we squeeze in time to read our Bibles and pray even though we are exhausted. You know, we display patience with the unlovable, loving like Jesus loved us. And we actively battle sin in our lives. But we don't have it in us to keep going. We don't have what it takes to cross that finish line, to finish our race. The power to keep running is external to us. So my aim this morning is to encourage us to persevere together in our Christian lives with the power that God provides. The Christian life is not about gritting our teeth and trying our best to obey God's many commands. It is a joyful life of dependence, of drawing on his infinite power to live a life worthy of the gospel. So with that in mind, I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Jude, chapter 1. Second last book in the Bible, Jude, chapter 1. And I'll begin reading at verse 17. So Jude chapter 1, verse 17 to verse 25. This is the word of the Lord. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by their flesh. 
Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Our main idea today is that God's preserving power enables us to persevere together until the end of our blood-bought lives. God's preserving power enables us to persevere together until the end of our blood-bought lives. So we'll see three main points in our text today. It's the call to remember God's word, to treasure God's love, and to behold God's power. So it's not easy to jump into the, really the end of a letter, kind of like starting in the middle of a movie. So here's what's happened in this, in this short letter so far. Jude is exhorting his readers to contend for the Christian faith. That's what we see in verse 4. He would rather write about um, the wonderful theme of their salvation. But dangerous false teachers had crept into the congregation. And addressing this first took precedence. Verse 4 tells us that they were, these, these false teachers were perverting the grace of God, abusing the gospel to allow for a life of ungodly living. They're saying, you know, let us continue in sin that grace may abound. Do you see the danger that Jude is addressing Jude then takes 12 verses, really half the letter, to describe their immorality in the strongest of terms. And at the same time, he assures his listeners that God will surely judge these false teachers. And this takes us to our passage today in verse 17. Jude tells his dear listeners, all this should be no surprise to you. Look at verse 17 again. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what did they predict? Verse 18. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. All throughout scripture, God's people are called to remember. Remember God's goodness. Remember God's promises. Remember what God has said. Through his appointed messengers in the form of this book, God has definitively spoken. Jude here is likely referencing the writings of the apostle Paul. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 3, in the last days, people will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. These are the scoffers that Jude is talking about. They reject any moral authority outside themselves in their pride. Their their consciences are not trained by the word of God, but they are led by their subjective feelings. They say, what I want right now, I will do. They lack reverence for the one and only holy God. They're lovers of 
pleasure rather than lovers of God. They are not the, the blessed man who delights in the law of the Lord in Psalm 1. Now, if we are honest with ourselves, even as, as Christians, we are prone to this as well. You know, we succumb to our pride. Our, our consciences need to constantly be recalibrated to Scripture. And don't we all find pleasure in the things outside of God? But Jude here, he's not speaking of Christians who struggle. In verse 19, we see that he is clearly talking about non-Christians. Look with me at verse 19. He says, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, and then here it is, devoid of the Spirit. These people cause disunity among God's people. Their, their doctrine is lacking what is true. They, they misunderstand and misapply what is morally per- permissible, what is right and what is wrong. They are not able to perceive the things of God because they are worldly, unspiritual, devoid of the Spirit. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, the natural person, natural is the same word as, as, um, as uh, the, the verse in, in Jude. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Dead people cannot tell if it's sunny or cloudy outside. And spiritually dead people, without life from the Spirit, have no powers of spiritual discernment. They are unable to distinguish between what pleases God and what pleases themselves. They cannot help but give into their ungodly passions. No Holy Spirit, no fruit of love, no fruit of self-control. These infiltrating influencers, they are formidable foes. Their lives of, of, of apparent freedom are so enticing, so exciting. And like mold spreading over old bread, they can slowly corrupt God's people unhindered. Love for God among God's people decays. But Jude reminds them, remember, things are happening exactly as God told you they would. This is no surprise to God. A gospel minister fortifies his people by pointing them back to God's unchanging and trustworthy word. But he doesn't stop there, leaving them with an, you know, I told you so. No, he points them to a divine means of grace to contend for their faith. This is what we see in verse 21. He says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Treasure God's love. Jude knew the danger of languishing love for God. When God's people abandoned the love they had at first, the bride of Christ succumbs to the world, the flesh, and the devil. The Puritan Thomas Manton, he knew this as well. Listen to the devastating effects of diminished love for God. When love for him cools, 
We do not guard our heart nor watch our tongue. We go through the motions in public worship because we are just not into it. We confess our sins without remorse. We pray for spiritual blessings with no expectation of obtaining what we ask. We are angry without realizing how dangerous that is. We say prayers for others without sympathy or brotherly love. We give thanks without gratitude. Exactly what the devil wants. So Jude exhorts, keep yourselves in the love of God. How, we ask. Jude gives us three ways. Look with me at verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Jude doesn't give us four unrelated commands. The central command is to keep. How does the beloved church of God keep themselves in the love of God? What's the means to that? By building, by praying, and by waiting. As the scoffers try to tear down the household of God, Jude gets them to engage in a corporate spiritual construction program. Christians are to build one another up in their most holy faith. Building one another up in gospel doctrine. Growing firm in their convictions of who God has revealed himself to be in scripture. Being, being awed by our triune providential God. Having an ever-deepening grasp of what God has done for us in Christ. But building, not just with the solid bricks of gospel doctrine, but building also with the mortar of gospel culture, living out the reality of who we are in Christ, doing the one another's of scripture, forgiving and bearing one another's burdens, comforting and correcting one another, serving and honoring one another. Together, God's people are to build a firm foundation for the Christian life established upon God's word. The second way to keep ourselves in the love of God is by praying in the Holy Spirit. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 2 that we are living stones being built up as a spiritual house. Dead stones that have been given life by the Holy Spirit. And prayer is the breath of someone who is alive in Christ. Praying in the Spirit is praying by the Spirit's power and according to his direction, his assistance and his guidance. We know this familiar text in Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not want know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Listen again to the words of Thomas Manton. He says, prayer is a work too hard for us. We can babble of ourselves, but we cannot pray without 
the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. We can put words into prayer, but it is the Spirit who puts affections, without which it is but a little cold prattle or chatter and spiritless talk. When we admit that we cannot pray without the Spirit's help and depend on him to help us pray, that is the first part of praying in the Spirit. But there's another essential element, soaking our prayers with the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. Listen to what John Piper says about this. He says, if you live in the word of God, meditating on it day and night by reading it every day and memorizing portions to carry with you all day and savoring them hour by hour, then your prayers will be shaped by the word, which means they will be shaped by the spirit. This is what Pastor Tim has taught me and taught so many of us here, praying by the spirit's help and praying the spirit's word in scripture. Pastor Tim, thank you for equipping so many of us with this vital means of keeping ourselves in the word and the love of God. So we build one another up in gospel, doctrine, and culture. We pour out our hearts together with the Spirit's power and direction, and we wait together. Verse 21, we wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The unbelieving scoffers, they only had the present in view. You know, I want my pleasure now. But Christians are to fix their eyes on an eternal, future reward. We won't receive the just penalty for our sins. Instead of eternal separation from God, we will one day spend eternity in his glorious presence. We wait for this day by crying out together, come, Lord Jesus. And as we wait together with hope, we know that hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. What hope we have as God's people. Now Jude knows that this will not be easy for everyone. Ever, ever the sensitive pastor, he gives instructions on how to engage with these struggling sheep. Look with me at verse 22. He says, have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stained by the flesh. This is the gospel in action. Christians have been shown mercy by God, what we just sang about. And likewise, they are to show mercy to one another. Some will doubt. Does God really answer my prayers? Is Jesus really better than what this world has to offer? What guarantee do I have that I'm even saved? I've heard children and both children and adults ask versions of these questions. Showing mercy means leading these saints along gently, not with an air of, of condescension, 
but with understanding and patience. Others require a different kind of mercy, snatching them out of the fire. Those in imminent danger of shipwrecking their faith, we snatch them out without delay. We don't play with fire, especially the eternal fires of hell. This mercy is shown with fear. The fear of being pulled down by those who are already sinking in their love of sin. If God brought you here today and you are not yet a Christian, you cannot obey this command. You cannot keep yourself in the love of God because you do not love God. You can't love God. You, you might not be here causing division, and I hope you're not, but you do not have God's spirit dwelling in you. You are spiritually dead, unable to muster up the desire to love God on your own. You, you can't conjure up any faith to believe what you are hearing. You can't muster up any willpower to change the way you are living. You're not looking forward to the mercy of Christ that leads to eternal life. And all that awaits you is an eternity in hell, the absence of God's good presence. But the good news is that it does not start with your love for God. The gospel is about God's love for sinners like you. God's love shown in Jesus by sending him to die on the cross, paying the penalty for sin. He, he tasted death, separation from God, so that sinners like you wouldn't have to. Instead, sinners given the gift of faith and repentance receive life in Jesus, mercy that leads to eternal life. And we pray that God gives you life by his mercy, faith to believe, and repentance to turn to Jesus for your salvation and your eternal joy. Now, if you are a Christian, you cannot obey this command on your, by yourself either. On your own, on our own, we cannot keep ourselves in the love of God. But our passage doesn't end here. It finishes with one of my favorite and most precious verses in all of Scripture. Look at verse 24. We are told to keep ourselves in the love of God. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. We are invited here to behold the power of God. God is able to keep, to preserve his people until Christ returns. It is his will to do so. Look with me at verse 1 of this letter. Jude says, To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. God has chosen his own before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him. 
In love, he predestined them for adoption as sons in Christ. And he will keep his people for the glory of Christ. That is his sovereign will. But he is not like us, having many plans and, and desires, but not the ability to carry it out. No, our God is able. His sovereign, infinite power secures the complete salvation of his chosen people. In the cross of Christ, he justifies his people by the blood of Jesus, a perfect sacrifice given for imperfect sinners, the righteousness of Christ covering our filthy rags, given to those who turn from sin and trust in his substitutionary death. He not only justifies us, but he sanctifies us. He keeps us from stumbling, from falling ultimately into sin and error. We can stand no longer than omnipotent God daily bears us up. But we need to stand. You know, when you're helping a child learn to walk, you hold their hands, but the child still needs to do the walking. You know, Pastor Tim said at our prayer meeting on Wednesday, there is no godliness without effort. But in our striving, in our weakness and our failing, our God holds us fast. The God who is able to raise Jesus from the dead, he will keep us. The God who sustains everything by the word of his power, he will keep us. We can keep ourselves in the love of God because we are kept for Jesus Christ and God keeps us from stumbling. But it doesn't stop there. He has justified us by the blood of Christ. He sanctifies us to make us more like Christ. And one day, he will glorify us to be the spotless bride for Christ this is the utopian picture of marriage we see in Ephesians 5. We, the blood-bought church, will be presented to our husband in splendor, without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish. We will be brought into the presence of our master, not in fear or shame, but with great joy. And what does the only God receive for what he has done? Look at verse 25. He receives the endless praise and joy of his people. He receives all glory. He is great in majesty. His reign is absolute. His power is limitless. For all eternity, he will be exalted and enjoyed by his people. Forever, our song will be, hallelujah, our God reigns. Now, brothers and sisters, how must we live in light of these glorious truths? I want to I hone in on one way, one way we have of keeping ourselves, each other, in the love of God this amazing responsibility and privilege 
we have to help one another fix our gaze and affections on God. You know, the phrase guard someone's heart should not just be used in the context of dating. It is a task of eternal significance in our lives together. To that end, I want to exhort us to grow in praying in the spirit together. Praying in the spirit together. If a baby is born and does not cry, there is much cause for alarm. Breathing is the means God has ordained to sustain life, to breathe in the oxygen that he has created. Praying in the spirit is a definitive sign of spiritual life. Prayer by the spirit's power and infused with scripture is an indicator of a regenerate heart. Affections that increasingly delight in Jesus. Awareness of one's own weakness and a steady shrugging off of self-sufficiency. An ardent love for God necessarily is coupled with a growing love for people. And as we grow to love one another, we will see that those around us struggle to keep ourselves in the love of God. Struggle to be in the word and in prayer. Struggle in the very basics of the Christian life. And we want to help them. We want to, to give them advice. We want to be with them. But what I found to be most edifying for, for myself or my brothers or sisters, time after time, is to pray together in the spirit. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Never resist any urge to pray. Never resist any urge to pray. You know, we have, we have many urges that we need to resist, but prayer is not one of them. Take every opportunity to pray in the spirit with God's people. Look away from your own resources and draw your fellow saints to the infinite resources of God in Christ. Immerse yourself in the word of God and be ready to be a conduit of grace through prayer. And as the spirit prompts you to pray with others, for others, he will bring to mind what you have meditated on. Like a, like a master mechanic selecting the perfect wrench, the spirit draws out what you have taken in to encourage the saints. You know, I've, I've lost track of how many times people in this church have encouraged me through praying in the Spirit. And this has been in, in person. It's been online. It's been through a timely message. My love for God has been rekindled. My, my trust in him has been bolstered. I, I've been given fresh faith. Even this morning as in our pre-service prayer meeting, I've been giving fresh faith for what lies ahead. What a blessing you have been to me and what a blessing we can be to one another. So let us avail ourselves of this precious means of grace, praying in the spirit with one another, for one another, that our gaze may be lifted to see the glory, the majesty, the power and authority of God in 
Christ. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge with the psalmist that you, God, are our helper, and you, the Lord, are the upholder of our lives. We ask, Father, for you to preserve us by your gracious power. Fill us, by, fill us with your spirit that we may keep one another in your love. You, you call us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. But we have the precious promise that it is you who work in us, both to will and to work for your good pleasure. We acknowledge in faith that you will complete the work you have started in us at the day of Jesus Christ. We trust in your promises and we hope in your word. We pray all this in the name of King Jesus. Amen.